And so I remember being in this, this jail cell and I wasn't even looking up and this man says, he said, little lady, he says, uh, have you ever seen this book? And when he reached through the cell, it was a Bible. Wow. And I remember grabbing that Bible and said, yes, sir, I have. And he says, why don't you start reading it? And I just remember sitting down in that bed and just bawling Kelly like a baby. Bawling because I knew that was the only good thing I would have in my life if I wanted anything good in my yeah. life. I needed to figure it out. Brandy Patterson wanted stability in her life. And a Bible in a jail cell was the closest she'd ever gotten to that. Brandy grew up in a suburb of Dallas with two parents and a seemingly normal family. Her parents believed in discipline, maybe a little too much. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Tell me, uh, what is your first memory? You know, I think my first memory of home as a child was um, when I was little. I think my my first memory, if you go back and you're able to think about what were the instrumental things that kind of set the the tone for your life was, uh, you know, my brother and I would lived in a little house over off Proctor and Garland. Okay. Um, and at that time, it was, you know, it was an okay area. Now it's not, but... Um, you know, my brother and I, you know, as kids, you'll have accents and mm-hmm. soil your pants. So, I mean, I don't know. What age does it stop, you think? Yeah, three or four, maybe. I don't know. It happens. But I just remember anytime we'd have an accent or anything, my parents' way of trying to break us from doing that. He'd put the soiled underwear over our head, whether it was, you know, we peed or pooed. It was, you put it, put it over your head, put it in the shower, and turn the water on. And that's your dad. That was my dad. My mom was, you know, to me, kind of wild with that. It was mom allowed it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, you're not, if you're just going to sit back and watch it happen, mm-hmm. you know, as a parent now, I can't imagine right. even thinking about doing that to my child. So, yeah, she she allowed it. And, um, you know, it was, you, you at that age, it's a, a lot of trust that's lost, I think, for your parents. Yeah. You feel like you can't ever mess up and be able to go to them because that was the result of what we did when we had accidents. Being punished for honest mistakes led Brandy to dismiss her emotions, thoughts, and instincts at an early age. As you got older, so it was really, it was really kind of, uh, you lost a sense of uh, security, I think, and you just felt, there there wasn't a a trust though for your parents, if that makes sense. So, You know, I don't, that was my first memory at that home. Brandy's family, like so many other families, was hiding beneath this facade of normal. Brandy soon learned that she couldn't even trust the people who were supposed to protect her. I know that before then, my mother and father, the house had gotten ransacked by the DEA um, for drugs. And I know that my, my aunt had said, you know, that she was the one that had come to get us so CPS didn't take us in. 
I don't remember a lot of that. I just know that it happened. Um, and it could have been something I blocked out. I right, don't know. Right. But anyway, so, I, you know, growing up, it was, um, you know what you know. Right. And normal was probably not what most kids normal normal was right. growing up at home. Right. Um, so, you know, you grew up there, and then my, that was probably my pre-K years. And I want to say kindergarten, we moved to a place in East Texas, Kilgore. Oh. I think my dad was working on old rigs and stuff. He got a job there that was pretty good paying. So we had quite a bit of land out there. And I, my aunt and uncle had come to live on that land uh, with us. And uh, I was, you know, again, I was probably kindergarten when this happened, but I had an uncle that had molested me uh, during that time and didn't realize some other things were going on with other family members as well. Uh, that, you know, you don't find out until years later because, you know, you probably would have gone to your parents, yeah. But that was gone. That yeah. Whole feeling like they would believe and trust that what you're telling them was real. We didn't have that as children. Mm. So um, you know, it wasn't a short. It was a short stay there. I don't remember staying there very long, and then uh, ended up in Rolla, Texas, okay. my second grade year. Okay. And um, again, it was you know from the outside very middle class. Brandy hoped that a new town and a new school would mean a fresh start. Though she was carrying all of this suffering and confusion, she still tried to have hope. At her new school, she made a friend. So it's your mom, your dad, your brother. Mm -hmm. and are you the youngest at the time? I'm the middle child. Okay. So it was me, um, my brother. My brother's three years older than okay. me, and I had a little sister that was five years younger than me. So okay. I know that she was even born or she might have been just born when they to roll it. Okay. Um, but you know, I loved, I loved the little neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, made friends real easy. Uh, you know, back then you could play out in the backyard and, or even the front yard right. around and it was not a big deal. Right. Um, I made good friends with a, a girl named Tawny Taylor that just ended up being just a precious little thing. She, I remember her long blonde hair. She had the prettiest long blonde hair. Um, and she grew up right down the street from me, and I remember one night, I was supposed to have spent the night with her that night. It was a school night, and my mom had said no because it was a school night, mm -hmm. and I somehow had talked her into saying, please just let me stay with her, and mom had changed her mind. Well, then somehow it got back to mom that the older sister was celebrating her family birthday that night, so my mother had come back and said, no. I, I don't feel comfortable with you doing that because it's family. Mm -hmm. Why don't you invite Tanya to come stay the night with us tonight? Mm -hmm. And my mom had talked to the mother, Peggy, and said, yeah, you can. Or, no, she, no, she can't, but, you know, Bernie can come stay here. And and ended up not happening anyway. The next morning I woke up and the house was still smoldering from being set on fire. Sweet Tanya's mother had done the unthinkable. Found out later that the mother had murdered Tanya and her sister, and the father, and the father's friend. This is uh, your best friend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, though, is, you know, you go back and think as a parent, I remember distinctively, Kelly, my mom, saying to me, getting a phone call, was in, woke up in the morning, you were ready for school. It was raining outside. I re it was foggy. I remember my mom being on the phone with a family friend, and them saying, they thought that it was one of my friends' house that had caught fire. And my mom was saying, Brandy, run down the street. I think one of your friends' house had caught fire. But you know, come back now and think, 
there's no way I'd have sent my child down there because I remember going down there. And as I went down there, they were taking a gurney off out of the oh, house no. um, from from the house and uh, putting it into the ambulance. No one survived except for the mother. And, and then she had a small child um, that survived. Um, so she killed her whole family except for a small one. The baby. Of the baby, okay. And Brandy's parents simply carried on like this, too, was part of their normal. And the crazy thing was, is for the longest time, well, I say the longest time, it seemed long. When you're younger, everything seems slower, I think. But uh, we'd raised, Ronald McDonald House yes. had raised thousands. I want to say they'd raised almost $100,000 for her to get back on her feet. And um, I remember going to the funeral, and it was closed casket because they were burnt beyond recognition. And um remember seeing Peggy, the mother, walk out and collapsing. And, and she vocalized how could I have done this to my babies well all of us thought it was just she felt guilty for not saving her children oh, we wow. had no idea that she actually orchestrated the whole thing and so we find out probably a couple days later that she had actually set the house on fire and uh, Tawny had actually died from smoke inhalation they tried to get her out her hand was on a window oh. but the pressure had built up too much on the house that I guess they had Firemen or people that had experiences in fires knew that if they had broke that window open, it would have exploded the whole house. Brandy had no one to look to, no one to help her process this or give her any kind of direction. She simply lost her best friend overnight and was expected to move past it. And um, so, yeah, it was a, at a young age, third grade, it was very traumatic seeing and not knowing really and never really understanding. Um, because my parents really didn't sit down with us and talk to us about stuff like that. It was more of a, you know, this is the world you live in, mm-hmm. you know, move on. And um, so we did. You know, it was one of those things where you just, you know, my dad was, uh, my mom and dad were very, um, we never really learned how to do homework, that kind of thing. It was kind mm-hmm. of a, you know, never tutor. You know, my parents both came from homes where they dropped out of school early. Um, but, you know, it was growing up there was, it was different, I guess, you know, our dad's way of spanking us was he, he'd go cut off the end of the water hose and he wanted to make wow. sure that metal part was on that hose because that's how we got spanked. It was, uh, I, the joke was, you know, he kept the Lowe's and Home Depot nursery department, you know, in business because he was always buying water hoses oh, because we try to, he'd cut them off, we'd hide them things, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, being raised in something like that was just kind of a, that's what you knew. Right. And so you didn't, you know, you, I knew my, I feared my father, mm-hmm. but also I knew he loved us, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, my mom, I just remember my mom a lot growing up. She was sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it, she was sick um, because she was natural. I think she made herself sick. You know, mm-hmm. she was bulimic and. Oh, she was, uh, there was a lot of attention on her, I guess you could say. Um, and it just, you know, my brother, as we got older, my brother and I were very close. We kind of became close in a, in a different way just because we saw a lot of what each other went through. Tanya was gone, and the only connection she had in her family was with her brother. But soon, even that became unsafe. And um, my brother was, you know, God love him. He was a smaller guy. Mm-hmm. So I think he would have loved to have played sports and stuff. But my dad, that was not his 
objective for him. I want to say probably when I was 10, my brother, you know, you could start to see him getting addicted to drugs. My dad was smoking pot with him and mm. um, my brother selling drugs. And Middle school presented another chance to start again, to fit in, to be accepted by someone. She mustered up the courage to try out for cheer. You start getting to middle school, you know, elementary, fifth grade, I made cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my out. Mm-hmm. That was the accountability to keep my grades up. Yes. And to also do, you know, just be a good person. Yes. Cheerleading kind of taught you that. Yeah. And um, found out years later that during that time period, my dad was breaking into homes and robbing them in, in our own community. And he never got caught. So it was one of those things where I remember just being scared someone was going to break into my house. And my dad telling me, like, you need to chill out. It's going to be fine. And not knowing he was the right. one that was doing it. So, of course, no one was going to break into my right. house, you know. Right. So, it was a, it was kind of a, you know, learning it now and seeing that it was, it's, it's kind of crazy right. thinking about living with that. But, and you also knew my father would have done anything for my mother. Mm-hmm. That meant, I remember him telling us all the time, you know, you can mess with me all day long, but you, you know, you F with your mother, and you're done. Like, you wow. knew you knew, Dad did not, he would not hesitate to take care of Mom. Wow. Which, you know, was hard for us. Um, I wasn't very close to my mother growing up. I, I'm not sure why. I, I don't know why, really. Um, I don't know if it's because they were trying to feed the family, and I, I'm not, I don't know why, Kelly. I, I think I know why, but I'm not sure. Um, but I, I just, I remember seeing my brother go through all the stuff he went through, and I was anti-drugs. I think I was in elementary one time, and, you know, they were doing all the say no to drug campaigns, and I remember going to my principal Mm -hmm. and saying, my father's smoking pot. Oh, wow. And, of course, back then it was just, (laughs) it was horrible, right? Yes, yes. Uh, And I remember, obviously, something being said, and it was bad for me. It was so bad for me because, you know, you don't do that. As long as she could stay out of the house, Brandy's world was looking up. Cheer offered her a brief sense of stability, a belonging with the team, and motivation to do well in her classes. But then that glimmer of stability, of childhood, was gone just as soon as it came. Once again, she was introduced to something far too mature for her age. And uh, so, you know, went from that to probably, I was... 13, 14, when I met my babies, my girl's father. Okay. And he was, what, 10 years older than me. Oh, wow. So he was a grown He's a grown man. And you're a cheerleader. I was 13. He was 22. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, my parents introduced us. My dad worked with him. Okay. And uh, I honestly don't know what encouraged them to encourage that, but okay. it ended up being a deal where... Uh, you know, we ended up seeing each other, but it was not easy, obviously, because, you know, our parents, by the time they had allowed it, we had already, you know, for me as a child, I'm like, I didn't have any boyfriends before that. It was right. kind of like, you know, I was a kid. Yes. So um, I ended up, you know, staying with him, and it was it was, it was was quite something to have to go through that process. Um, you know, being a teenager, and then by this time, I'm freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents are 
condoning it now they're saying no and oh okay i'm getting kicked off the cheerleading team because i'm with an older man oh wow this was brandy's breaking point it was more than she could handle as a freshman in high school her parents betrayed her into the hands of a man who was 10 years older than her then they turned their backs and condemned her for being with him she lost her position on the cheer team it was too much to bear i took 52 pills which I haven't shared with anybody. Um, it was thank God it was antibiotics. They were antibiotics, um, but I remember being put in a in a mental hospital because that's the protocol. Okay. When you do something like that, self harm, they'll put you in the hospital for evaluation. And and what led to that? Led to what? The, to taking the pills. Oh, I was just. I just felt so hopeless. Okay. I think I felt like I had. I just wanted a normal life. Mm. And I knew I was going from one bad situation into another, if that makes sense. It was just a... You were stuck. I think cheerleading was such my outlet. Yeah. That the minute they took me off the team, which I didn't understand at the time. Of course I understand it now. Right. Um, it just, that was my last solid um, piece of control I had that was good yeah. in my life, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes. And so that's that's what did it yeah um but then after being in there for a week they realized real quick oh my gosh i can't imagine i can't believe she didn't try something sooner right and then with everything that we've been exposed to as children um they didn't feel like it was safe for me to go back home to that situation so they released me to my then boyfriend ex-husband um and so from there it was basically one of those things where if i was going to live with him I was going to get married to him. In an unbelievable turn of events, the hospital staff actually released her to this man who was dating her as a minor. And before Brandy knew it, she was signing her life over to him. And so we went from that to my parents, you know, signing a document saying, you know, she's okay to marry him and being married at 14. 14 years old and he's 23? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're just a baby. Oh, just a baby. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I look at my kids now, I think there's no way I'd want them getting married right now. They're just too young, too much life to live. Yes. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you're going through situations in life, you go through the motions. It's just, a, it's fire flight. You're surviving. Right. right. And that's all I knew. I knew I was a good person. I knew I had good qualities. Mm-hmm. But I just had a lot of bad circumstances around yeah. me. And so I knew that I, I wanted to be that good person. I just... You know, I was desperate to to get some sort of stability. Something had shifted in Brandy's heart, and she knew deep down that she didn't deserve this cruelty. And that wasn't stable. Um, Did you stay in school? Did not. I dropped out my freshman year in high school. Dropped out my freshman year in high school. I was working from that point on. Oh, you were? I was working. Um, Had some small little jobs, you know, working at like a... CVS, Walmart, uh-huh. or Walgreens type situation, doing a cashier. Um, and then you're married. I'm married. 14, don't even have a driver's license. No. And yeah, living with, not on top of that, he had started his, he had started a landscape company. And so we had five Spanish guys that lived with us with all their girlfriends. And it was, it was just not a good situation. Um, and the crazy thing is people, you know, the first thing people asked me was, well, did you get married because you were pregnant? And I'm like, no. I mean, I didn't get pregnant until I was 19. Wow. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, 
it was not a good situation. Right. And and another part of this that I've never sh- shared with anybody is we married each other, and then my um, there was a lot that went on in that relationship, and um, I had gotten to the point one time where I just said I can't do this anymore with the the physical stuff that we'd gone through, him and I, and I, you know, pulled out a gun and said, I'm done. You, you know, touch me again. I'll blow your head off. Wow. And, um, you know, one thing, if anybody knows about me, I'm, I'm not a liar. Right. I can't lie. I mean, it, right. I bust myself trying to say anything that's not correct. And I remember the police officer coming to my house because he called the police and said I threatened killing. And he got there and he said, ma'am, did you, did you do what he said? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, why? I said, because I'm, I'm tired of being hit. Mm. I, I don't want to do this anymore. He said, well, you know, I have to take you to jail. And I said, yes, sir, I do. There, how old were you at this point? 16, I okay. think. 16, almost 17. And uh, he took me to jail. and I, He could have put me in gym pop, but he didn't. He took me back to a cell that was kind of far left. I remember it just didn't seem very well lit. And I remember being in there. And, and if you go back and think about things that are playing it in your life, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I had a father growing up that was extremely suicidal. I mean, anytime him and my mom would get into these major fights, he'd put a gun up to his head and threaten to blow his head off. And, uh, you know, as a child, you see it so much, it's like, that's all you know. Right. I, I don't know how to explain to people right. what you know is what you know. That's that's it. Yeah. And uh, I, I'll never forget. So anytime I go stay with my grandparents, which are my mom's parents, the, the sweetest, godliest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you stayed there, you expected Mom and Paul's house, you expected to go to church on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And so any church I'd get was, you know, if there was a major holiday, yes. Thanksgiving or Christmas or yeah. Easter, you went to church and we went to Mom and Paul's. Well, that little seed had been planted as a child, but it wasn't practiced. And so I remember being in this, this jail cell and I wasn't even looking up and this man says, he said, little lady, he says, uh, have you ever seen this book? And when he reached through the cell, it was a Bible. Wow. And I remember grabbing that Bible and said, yes, sir, I have. He says, why don't you start reading it? And I just remember sitting down on that bed and just bawling Kelly like a baby. Bawling because I knew that was the only good thing I would have in my life if I wanted anything good in my yeah. life. I needed to figure it out. Yeah. And so, um, but I'll never forget that. I don't know the police officer. Wow. But he was a huge part of my testimony. Wow. When Brandy finally reached rock bottom, she met someone who is known to many as the Rock of Ages, an unchanging, unconditionally loving God, someone at last who was stable. Her darkest moment began to fill with light. She began to see a path forward. Uh, I remember the judge didn't even charge me. Mm. Uh, the husband, you know, at that time, he didn't even charge me. It was more trying to get her out of here, <laughs> get her out of the house, you know. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I filed for divorce. Okay. So I went from that to uh, a divorce with him, uh-huh. working two jobs. Oh, wow. Did a little college, not much. Uh-huh. Got my GED. Okay. Did a little college, not much, but um, did that and worked two jobs, and he started slowly coming back into my life again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up getting pregnant with Priscilla, my oldest daughter, at 19. And we didn't marry, remarry until after I had her. But he was a different person then. He changed a lot, and it was, um, it was just a different mentality. I had the the 
that time we were apart from each other, I started getting really active in church. Mm. And I was at my grandparents constantly. So I was being filled with just a peace. And you know, the one thing I loved about my parent, my grandparents was they never judged me. Brandy's grandparents weren't too sure about her husband, but Brandy chose to trust again. Only time would tell if her husband had really changed or not, but she was willing to give it a try. She became a mother at 19 years old, blessing her grandparents with a great-grandchild. They never, they knew the situation was bad, but I think they knew also, too, that we had a very unstable situation at home. Oh. And so I think they kind of, Maybe they thought, well, I'm surprised she's not worse off than what she is. I don't know. Yeah. Because my brother was. Mm. My brother was. It was, a, it was a struggle. In fact, I'm certain, had I not left home when I did Kelly, I would be, it would have taken me as long as it did my brother to figure out life. Yeah. Um, just because that's, you know, what we were exposed to. Um, so, you know, we went from that to having Priscilla. I was having Priscilla at 19. Mm-hmm. Brandy realized, as she put distance between herself and her childhood home, that things had not been as normal as they'd seemed. Yet, as she reflected, she knew they could have been even worse than they were. She now had a God in her life who was revealing His grace to her. He had removed her from that home at a very young age, though not in the way she would have chosen. But she chose to count this new life as a blessing and to see where it would lead. Thanks again for listening to Kava the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kavah the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.